All right, there's me. Me six has joined us. Hopefully, me six behaves and records properly. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, it's still better than Twitter. But some, I'm going to still have that chat with people who reached out to help with OBS. So we're nearly going to get that right. sorted. Yeah. How was the interview, though? Uh, good, good. I think they're building something very cool. Dylan, more information about the Lacoste thing. Um, there's just a few people wondering what, like, was that a whitelist that they got into, or? They got, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they got into a white. It was a flash white. I'll give you a bit of context over there. The team for lacrosse are not NFT natives, they're crypto natives. And the guy, the founder, uh, was very, um, very much in play to earn games. So they reached, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they, they're leveraging their name, but they didn't do a very robust reach out to a lot of communities. So now, you know, everyone is like climbing each other's other's head to get involved. And someone mentioned to them, you probably want to WGMI podcast. So they reached out to me. And then I'm like, um, aren't you minting on Tuesday? They're like, yep. Yeah. I'm like, um, do something. Can devs do something? So devs did something. They gave us whitelist spots 20 minutes before they closed the whitelist. So that was the best we could do. I was like, me and Parker uh, want to know if we have to. So me and Parker both were in the same situation. We went through all the steps. It said, give us your email. And then after yeah, that. It's not, it's not an email confirmation that you need. It's going to email you when the, when the, when the mint starts. But some people got a link to the Discord and some people didn't. So we have no idea. If you didn't get a link to the Discord, you didn't make it. Okay. There you go, Parker. Oh, Dang. I was, I, was, I was already in the Discord. I was hoping that was the reason. If you're already in the Discord, then that then may have not been true. Were you in the first 20, Parker? Uh, that was pretty quick. It okay. said I went through and I get email confirmation. Something uh -huh. or another. Okay, right, one last. Uh, I was I was already in the Discord and I still got the Discord link. So oh, maybe uh, then you probably didn't make it, Parker. Sorry, my friend. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Rudering, I can't say your name. Um, also said that they got in the Discord. Someone say that name in Cafe Voice Chat. Uh, it is Schrodinger. Oh, okay. Like the scientist. Nice. Thank you. Also, Bella, did did he ever upload the video yet or no? I don't think he's had a chance to. It's just it's too um the file's too large and his um iPad is like an older iPad, so it's not letting him do it. It keeps crashing it. Uh well that sucks. <laughs> it does. Awesome. Okay, let's get started, everyone, and 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 our friends, our friends at Webiverse are going to get Fat Cats involved as well. So we're going to be onboarded into their programs. All right, we've got our friend. Let's 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 hand this over to, uh, let's hand this over to MC. So MC, what we're trying to understand, uh, everyone who's joining now, we're trying to trying to get an idea of where cryptocurrency is going and. You know, for the technical people over here, I think there's a lot of technical indicators that help people understand things. Um, but also, you know, two weeks ago, people were not talking about crypto falling through the floor as it is now because we did not yet have the fundamental report from, you know, the U.S. government stating that, yes, they are going to be upping, you know, upping interest rates and that kind of caused this catalyst collapse. But, you know, the two things do exist together, right? The fundamentals. Uh, and the technicals, the technicals give you your entry and exit points, but the fundamentals are, you know, what, what are moving things. But what, what I am kind of, you know, every, everyone always wants to say every market is different, right? You know, this market is different. And the part that's m aligning me with this market is slightly different is that the whole world is burning. All asset classes are in trouble right now. And so I just get this sense of, well, you know, the people who are in NFTs and in crypto don't really have somewhere else to move their money to. 
however, there is a strong counter argument to that. So, MC, if you could kind of take it slow and give people the, the framework of how kind of the you know institutional money and stuff works right now, I think that will help people give people perspective of why you know maybe that kind of logical assessment isn't always true because of where the money actually is. Of course, and I'm happy to do so. And just so everyone can demarc when we did this interview, we just now had Bitcoin hit below 27K. So you can then use that to track when this was recorded. But on the overall picture is, you need to first look at where is the, like, how is the money, the currency system being operated? What leads to like loan growth and money creation to be sent from the GSIP banks, which is globally systemic banks, over to hedge funds, money markets, and several other big entities to then go into the retail to then spend onto crypto that are like whatever they want to, like games, switches, TVs, or taking a house, like a loan for a house. You need to consider how that path goes through. And then consider, is the current financial environment increasing discretionary spending or decreasing it? And if it does decrease for discretionary spending, where does that money go into? That is like part of the analysis that I am going to show through. And then from there, it can then make this simple and somewhat clear decision of what must the consumer do or the end retail consumer do to spend more onto crypto or what are they going to be forced to choose whether they should sell the crypto to be able to live? Is there any problem with the initial question or no? Sorry, keep going. Okay. So when I talk about GSIB and several other money market funds, what you need to understand is that most credit creation of U.S. nominated dollar loans is primarily from Citibank, Deutsche Bank, the Bank of London, the Bank of England, which those are synonymously together, like HSBC and several other big banks that crypto is supposed to be antagonists or against. From there, they then create, they then buy T-bills, specifically from the treasury auction, from the U.S. treasury, due to the fact that the dollar is a reserve currency and the dollar is used for global liquidity. They then take that U.S. 10-year off the auction, which is at a super discounted rate because it's dependent upon the reserve ratio. They then flip that over into the repo market, which is an international market where banks can trade with one another, where the counterparties could be a hedge fund, another bank, a country, or like, like retail Joe who wants to get a few more interest rate or a few more basis points compared to the savings account. They then take that currency and rehypothecate that, where if I am a bank with 10 USD bills, why I would park it into reverse repo if I see a ton of credit risk in the system, or that companies would generally fail or interest rates are hiking a lot, and I don't want to take that risk because they could default based on the fact that company debt has to be traded at a premium to LIBOR or so forth, or depending upon your local interest rate. So why would I take that credit risk when that increase of interest rate could destroy their profit margin, aka 2 or 3% above what they get from debt? So I'll just park in the reverse repo, which is currently hitting around 2 to $2.5 trillion a day, where the Fed pays out like 25, 50 basis points, which may seem like a lot, but in reality... I can, if bank itself can take that UST bill, rehypothecate to 20 or 30 entities, and then pocket that spread of people paying that interest rate, interest, rate, interest rate for them to utilize it temporarily back to the bank itself. And that's like collect 2 to 3%. And they can then spend that 2 to 3% on crypto, like commodities, or futures trading to then hedge my book. Now, once we get to there, we again go into the counterparty of the reverse repo itself. So just, just to understand that, MC, so you're saying that the institutional money that's arrived into crypto and been heavily investing in the last year to two years, that you're saying that they are heavily over leveraged. 
they don't realize that they're overly heavily leveraged to the bank itself. It's just that it's slowly starting to be realized that, hey, the banks themselves are over leveraged because the globally systemic banks do not have to follow like globally systemic banking rules. So we don't need to know their PL. And thus, they can just hide whatever they want into offshore vehicles or whatever, or into their offshore banks. And thus, they look pretty, but in reality, that they're not. I see, I see. And, 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 and from an exposure point of view, because there's different kinds of institutions, right? You have institutional money that's like a private equity fund, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily heavily collateralized, versus a bank that may be heavily collateralized and doesn't realize it. What you know? What amount, what what level of exposure do the different categories have? Because you know, one one has may trigger a cascade and one may not. Of course, the thing is, the ones that mainly will cause a cascading or default event is the GSIP banks, because if you were to look at what the U.S. or like, I remember seeing a report in the U.S. where they posted the amount of leveraged in their derivative books compared to the assets that they have on the balance sheet. And most of the GSA banks have 3 to 10x leverage of options and derivatives on their books compared to their net assets. And thus, you have all the central banks essentially having to prop up these like big banks that provide credit to hedge funds to take on leverage and to like money market funds in co- com- countries in the global south to then grow. But then once you have a contraction of reapplication of T-bills for people to borrow against, this leads to a massive run onto the dollar because of the fact that they need to pay off the dollar-denominated loans. And because of the fact that the big banks have been slowly trying to degross and deleverage their books based on Basel III, you're seeing a massive decline of cash or, quote-unquote, the stocks for banks itself decreasing over time. And this coincides with the rise of crypto and the fact that many of these players who need that leverage and that liquidity go into crypto, which is highly risky, highly levered. But they need to go there because they need that dollar financing and they need to pay off those dollar-denominated bonds and dollar-denominated loans. And they can't go to a regular bank to borrow off their repo facility because it's like 10 to... 100 basis points above what they can finance. So they go to crypto where the average citizen in the US market or in the European market who has dollars can lend to them. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so, um, all right. So please continue with your, with your thought process. Okay, so we went over GSEF banks. Now we must consider, like, consider the counterparts who take that risk, even though some of them realize that, hey, I'm getting absolute dog shit UST bills, but it's still a UST bill on my book. So I need to pay off this like finance and like loan out. Because the fact that if I if a company which would be like 300 billion goes to you and set goes to you and say, hey, I need to borrow around like maybe like 10% of the assets that I have, and I want to finance it in like the French colonial franc. Would you do it? Hell no. Hell no. They'll only accept it saying like, hey, I have this UST bill. Don't worry about where I got it from. But I have this UST bill. If I give this over to you on your books, can I get like 10% or 20% of the collateral from that? Most countries or most hedge funds say, oh yeah, sure, I can take that. And then they say, oh, I need to get that back like tomorrow. And you know that people would eventually continuing this trade over and over again because from the rise of 1970s onwards, that was the trend where people didn't care where the UST bill went or where it came from. They know it's the UST bill and the Fed guarantees it because it is the sovereign nation that upholds the national currency of the world. So they continue that financing and trade. But now people are starting to realize, hey, where'd you get that UST bill? Uh, Don't worry about it. Uh, can you get 10% off the price of the UST bill? Um, how about no? I'll just give you only 5% or 2%. And if you default, I keep the UST bill. And companies are paying and actually accepting that. Now, 
Once you understand that on the micro sense, think about this on the overall global economy if all the companies are doing that. How much risk premium do you have to price into the asset and how much less liquidity and less leverage can people take because of it? Now, once you have that in mind, you can start to see like a kind of bigger picture where once the local, local companies start to default a little bit or they can't pay off their debts, because there is no cash to suck up. They then start to default on their like repo, which is why you have like reverse repo and repo fails happen and increase since September, October. This starts on micro level. Then it, you then go to the people who handle insurance between people who do repo, which is called tri-party repo. This starts to also affect like repo facilities and like reapplication of UST bills because they need to pay it for the dollar-denominated loans. Because most things in the world are denominated dollars, still. Even though it's around like 53 56% of world trade is denominated in dollars, it's still a massive percentage. This goes into the banks, who see all these transactions and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to reduce the leverage that we take our UST bills on, and why don't we just park it at the Fed? Because we, at least we can guarantee we get earned money. Because we need to abide by Basel III in the standards that are given to us. Hedge can do whatever they want. Retail can do whatever they want. It's just that we're constrained based on the Fed saying, oh, you, you, you know, why don't we just like remove from the US T-bill auction? Good luck with that. And that means that their entire business goes kaput. Because they can't like make the spread between getting from their auction itself and selling to the third market, like third party market. So essentially, that means that they had to abide whatever the Fed does and increase rates to whatever the Fed does. And now you start to see entire contraction of U.S. dollar and dollar liquidity just to pay off debts. And this starts with the emerging markets first, basically in the global south, basically Latin America, like Africa, South Asia, and the Middle East. This then starts to spread over to the European banks like China and Russia. Then it spreads over to the U.S. Because the U.S. is last to feel it. But everyone else does first. Because they can print it whatever they want. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the bad case scenario kind of aspects of it. Now, on, on, on the good sides of things, um, how, how much do you think, number one, the fact that Ethereum has a lot going for it now, which it didn't before, crypto in general, right? Crypto before was just very early tech. We were all investing on future promises, whereas now we have a very robust Ethereum ecosystem. So the trust of the people who actually already believe in the ecosystem, number one, how much does that weigh into it? Number two, how much weighs into this the fact that I know for sure that tons of whales have already kind of cashed out a while ago and they're just sitting on the sidelines waiting to buy back in uh, at their respective kind of floors, whether it be 1,200, 800, whatever. And then number three, how much does get factored in the fact that investors who are not leveraged, they're just trying to keep their money safe, really do not believe in uh, any other asset classes right now? Oh, the thing is, I'll start with the last question first. So since many people are starting to experience what could be the start of a U.S. tech bond, like bond bear market, and the fact that many people are questioning the, the actual like, prime and risk, risk-freeness of the U.S. dollar, based on the fact that the U.S. sanctioned the Russian sovereign bank, which is part of the G20, which you, sh- you should never do on any financial level because the fact that Powell and several other financial institutions came out and said, no, we were not concerned about this. We were not informed about this decision. And this could damage and harm the credibility of the U.S. dollar. Shows how much the U.S. market and the U.S. bond market has been rattled by Biden's decision. This leads to many investors to seek other assets or other currencies as an alternative. Primarily, they'll be looking at commodities such as oil, because of the fact that you need gas as the main energy source to maintain an industrialized economy and to produce the fertilizer for basic food yield, because of the fact that our agricultural society has not been advanced at all for the last 20 years. 
Then they look over to what can I use as a classical hedge of currency debasement because of the fact that many nations will have to debauch their currency just to be able to survive the next day instead of looking at their overall economic health. This leads to classical inflation hedges such as gold, silver, and other industrial metals. Then they look over to the tech sector and say, hey, since we realize that some of the nations can survive this and have the opportunity to thrive, and I need to get my assets out of a sovereign nation, which might go through confiscation risk, I need to have a currency or a commodity that can survive that. Unless they look over to crypto and say, hey, I don't need to put a lot of energy into like removing and leaving an area. And this is the easy way to do so since you can't really know that it is me that carries all this wealth without you knowing my seed, no, seed phrase. And thus they'll be eventually looking towards that. So right now we're currently looking at a phase of everyone's thinking about, hey, I need to pay, pay off my US dominated dollar debt now. Which is leading to the dollar increasing and like showing strength. When in actuality, it's just the last gasp of the dollar trying to maintain their strength. This then leads them to say, hey, once I got this done, I can now pay for food. I can now survive. I need to prepare myself for the bottom of the currency because of the fact that all the boomers are retiring or most of them are retiring this year. This then leads to the fact that most boomers, when they put on social security, the unfriended liabilities across the entire developed world, there is no amount of resources or amount of currency that can pay for it based on the tax receipts. So that didn't inflate. They then have to look at the inflation-protected assets like oil, gold, silver, and crypto. Because of the fact that even though you have an energy leak from proof of work to crypto, you still need the computing power and the tech itself. And thus, you have a geopolitical and tech, tech, tech correlation with it, which is what is currently affecting the crypto market now. Right. And, and so that's, that's really my point. You know, words, crypto tends to be considered historically now, especially, you know, we've got 10, 10 year charts to be a deflationary investment vehicle. Right. And so, you know, this is my, this is why, as I say, I'm trying to understand how many people will not flee because they, it, it's got that status of being deflationary because, you know, so many of the other assets are uh, a mess right now. And because uh, this ecosystem is a lot more um, built out than it was during the last bear market. One of the things that I see really concerning about the current crypto market is the fact that a lot of people are not deploying funds or the massive players who want to get into the crypto market are not deploying funds until they see micro strategy suffer. And that's what I see as a massive headwind. On top of the fact that ETH is trying to transition to proof of stake, which does allow capital flight into Ethereum a little bit more easier. But you have that transition phase where it costs a lot of economic currency and economic time to allow that transition to go through. And the certainty of the merge itself makes this current time a lot harder and put a lot more downward pressure on ETH itself because if the transition never happens and ETH essentially gets crippled based on inflation that people perceive is going to happen to it, this leads to a crisis of confidence in Ethereum itself, which leads men to flock over to Bitcoin, even though they shouldn't. Okay. Okay, cool. So if you were to summarize, what's your bullish argument what's your bearish argument and where do you kind of stand uh, on where you think price is going uh, and how fast they will go there and uh, what recoveries and stuff might look like so what i'm currently seeing is that the i'll just give the most bearish case out since i'm working primarily primarily on part of the thesis so many people are going to be losing their discretionary spending because of the fact that energy costs and the basic cost of living is increasing. This affects the marginal propensity to consume on the retail consumer, which is primarily 60 to 80% of the crypto market, which means that all coins will have to 
be stressed out of dollar liquidity, specifically USD, USD, USDT. That will be pushed over to Ethereum, which causes it to be cascaded a little bit more, and onto Bitcoin as well. And I currently see a price target of Ethereum to, at, at the most bear, bullish case, 1500 to the most bearish case, which is around 500 US dollar to Ethereum. And Bitcoin could hit around 20,000 to 23,000 at the most bearish case, since the US congressional decision on inflation and the next stimulus could pass a like, student loan debt jubilee, but it will not be enough to counteract the deflationary forces of banks and several other actors not be, being able to increase dollar-denominated loans, and the current consumer, specifically retail, is strapped out of cash because they maxed out their credit cards already, which means if you take the credit creation view, this has already been a massive high up to 2000 Ethereum, and we're going to go down more further until the winter. Now, for a more bear, like bullish case, you need to consider the fact that if we do have a sudden peace treaty and the current administration in the European Union can actually subsidize and increase the price of natural gas and oil drilling, this will then create a reversal of the fact that the market already priced in that OPEC Plus is stat, like basically unable to increase their spare capacity because there is none. And this would allow the market to smoothen out the pressure on crypto because there will be base load energy and there will be eventually food to back up the entire system for a good bit. And this will lead to less downward pressure to where you could have a breakout, like a um, dead cap bounce up back to 2000 to 3000, like 2000 to 2200 on ETH, but it will eventually go down to 1500 to 1000 based on the fact that the winter has to be priced in and it's currently not. Okay, okay, let's, let's open up to some questions. Anyone want to kind of ask questions or, or give some points or counterpoints or pro points or whatever you like? Anyone want to do anything? No? No one? Don't be shy. All speculating anyway. <laughs> Bella, you want to add anything? Parker, Parker Haven, Pearl, who's still up? Curti, Parker's there. Yeah, Parker's there. yeah. I basically, I, I had a strong opinion until we got out of the last range, and all the numbers he's mentioned um, are the numbers I'm hearing. But again, I don't have that strong opinion as I once did with the low range from the past three, four weeks. Um, but yeah, twelve. 12 to 14, some mile marks we should look for. And then if below that, like he said, 500. Uh, there's not much really going well, 800 on. First, 800 first, I think. 800 first is a spot as well. Yeah, the thing is, when I say 500, I'm saying that it could hit there, but I'm not baking on the fact that it will solidly hit 500. I'm no, saying I agree. around that amount. And, and talking about buying, yeah, it would be way before that anyways. DCAing down, but. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if my, you know, one of the things I never know is if my echo chamber is small or large when it comes to kind of crypto people. Because as I said, I do know, you know, we've, we've you know, I've, I've learned over, over the last year and a half, do not underestimate the power of the native crypto whales, right? As much as we are used to in stocks and stuff, having institutional money be massive anchors. We have crypto native whales called whales because their size is so large that what they do moves markets. Uh, and a lot of these crypto native whales have been parking, you know, do, taking, taking wins with the minor trades and stuff and are holding vast sums of DAI and USDC uh, ready to pounce at their respective market points. So, 
Uh, but again, I don't know, you know, you know, when you look at kind of the trends of how much of the storm in one direction, how much in the storm of the other, and how many of them are opportunistic, meaning they will be like, cool, I took a, I took a, a win, now it's falling more, I'll sell out, buy back later, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I don't know their trading strategies. Um, I kind of have two questions, if, if I may. Go sure. for it. Um, I've been, I just recently got into investing about five months ago, but I've been hearing a lot that we're kind of headed towards a recession or it could be rumors. I don't really know how to tell that. I guess my question is, what are some signals that you can say we're going into a recession or, or depression? And, you know, what are some things that the Federal Reserve or I guess all, this, all the, the big governments and banks <clears throat> are going to do to prevent that from happening? Okay, I can take this one since this is a bit easier. So one of the key recession signals that you see in the last crashes since 2000 onwards is the fact that you had the 10 and 2 year of the U.S. Treasury yield curve invert. That was one of the key recession signals saying, hey, we could, like, every single time that this indicated, out of, out of all the 12 times that it signaled 11 out of those 12 times it shouldn't signal a recession so not, not 11 10 percent like 10 times out of 12 so it's a key really key reliable indicator that hey recession is coming if you don't want that then you need to look at the cpi print not the cpi print but the growth like real gdp print and the inflation print of all the g20 nations and consider the rate of change because once you see how the U.S. and Chinese GDP inflation rate of change slow down, then you know you get Quad 4, which I informed some people here about Quad 4. If you want to look at it, I posted a chart earlier today from Hedgeye about this. But that allows you to know that you have growth slowing down and inflation slowing down, but they're still high. And the rate of change of that growth and inflation is what's crucial because if you live in a debt-based world where every single amount of debt requires more debt to pay it off. You need to have more growth or equivalent growth to what you were before because debt demands more debt in order to prevent it from canceling out each other. Does it make sense? Or did it answer your question? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Thank you. I 100% agree with that. No, that's fair. That's the problem, I think, that the countries are running into. They can't sustain the amount of growth it will take to compensate for the inflation on the debt. And you do need to consider that every single time we head Quad 4 in a debt-based economy, they always debauch the currency, which is where the head like tailwinds for crypto always comes in when they debauch it. And then we go back into Quad 1 or Quad 2. Agreed. I agree with that, Sam. Any other questions? I, I guess my only one is on timeline. Um, I mean, I think, look, I think everyone, it's inevitable we're going into recession. That's for sure. Uh, and in fact, I am pro, I am pro um, all of these government institutions pulling off the Band-Aids. I do not want to repeat uh, of everyone picking up the banks in 2008 and stuff. It just prolongs the suffering. Pull off the band-aids, have everyone riot, uh, go back to Wall Street, scream and shout and let it all out and do what you need to do. Uh, have blood in the streets for, for four months and then we can start to kind of build a healthy foundation again. That's my stance. Uh, I, I, I like to think it's, it's, it's compassionate, tough love. Uh, America historically does not do that, especially when Democrats are in power. And so they are likely to keep teasing out the pain and the suffering little by little, which will likely keep us going sideways or, or on a downward trend, a slower downward trend than a collapse uh, for quite some time. But, but what, is, what is your timeline, do you think, on seeing uh, Ethereum come back to its current numbers? The timeline that I see is that it's going to take around... Man... Like, at what price level? Do you mean, like, 2000 or 
Let's say fifteen hundred. Let's say fifteen hundred range. Fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred range. I I think is a is a is a emotionally comfortable range for a lot of people, right? It's like okay, the mark's not great, but Ethereum's still worth something. The thing is, since we're testing the entry into one thousand five hundred right now for Ethereum, I, I I think we might be in it. Let me check. Let me check CoinGecko right now. Yeah, we're already at one thousand four hundred fifty. So, I'd say that when we will experience to be comfortable in, in coming back will be around Q2, Q3 next year. That's essentially what I'm looking at. Because right now, I'm only looking at from here to qua, like quarter four of this year. And I can't see much after that because I need to see the policy reaction from the ECB and the Federal Reserve by them trying to get elected in the midterms in the U.S., and who will be elected in, and how the reaction will be to the incoming like recessions and layoffs that will occur. Yeah, and, and I do think it's worth mentioning. I'm sorry, I, I you know I'm, I'm in I'm in Israel. I you know sorry Americans. I you know your politics is your problem, but it's the world's problem too. The Republicans are going to be elected. Um, and that tends to uh, give Manhattan and and London uh, a sense of okay, it's not it's not terrible. Uh, but 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 even so, they will have to bring in austerity as well. And so you know they will probably keep upping up interest rates, which again will upset London and Manhattan. So it's this mixed thing. On the one hand, they'll feel like the Republicans are coming in and they'll be slightly more fiscally responsible, and on the other hand. Uh, the, that fiscal responsibility will come with them raising interest rates. So it's and a, which means that all of the loans that are out there for U.S. denominated bonds, specifically tied to LIBOR, which is what City of London and several other nations utilize, will increase. Which means all their debt increases on top of a rising dollar or increased strength in the dollar. Which means that they had to spend more of the economic energy and years of their life to pay off that debt. Right. Right. Yeah. And. To go back to your point about like growth and stuff, I just posted two images in the Cafe Voice Text about the real GDP in Europe and the world itself. We can see the trend line from 2007 and now the trend line that we're in now and how much of a like, depression and recession we've been on. But we like covered it up with QE and like reducing the interest rates. That just shows you how much we need to catch back up to return to trend. Mm-hmm. And, even, and even our current trend now is even lower than we had since 2008 onwards, which shows you how bad and how deep of a de- de- recession and depression that we are currently in. It's just that we don't feel it yet. Yeah, yeah. And China's in a similar situation. Uh, you know, China's been building at a ridiculously far pace, but they've been building things that no one's ready to use, whether it be their uh, ghost town cities, or, or their, their silk roads with, you know, massive docks and stuff all over the place that no one's yet using. So, you know, China has definitely mobilized its workforce, but it certainly has, a, has slowed down heavily on its, on its uh, GDP growth. Yep, I just sent, posted that image of Chinese real GDP. Yeah. This is the exact one as others. Yeah. I had another question quickly. Oh, also, Dylan, I agree with what you said, you know, taking over the band-aid, kind of like that tough love. Uh, I wanted to ask, what role do you see technology advancements in, I guess, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, artificial intelligence playing along in, you know, uh, once we do hit a recession, what kind of role do you see in playing or picking things up? The thing is, once we do officially hit, which we will be in this quarter, recession, because in recession, you need two quarters of negative GDP, like, growth. So... Since we're going to officially hit it this quarter, you will see more and more rise of layoffs. And the boomers are not going to be able to come in because they're legitimately old. They're like 70s and 80s old. They can't fill in for the like McDonald's or like, like in whatever job, like, like retail, like jobs that you have. And thus, that's why it's all called the great risk, like the great quitting or the great recession of jobs because of the fact that they are they had to retire because they're at that age where they can't work anymore 
and that was propping up the like real GDP growth since 2007 onwards. And we're now going to a lower trend. So there, you need to have AI to fill in that population deficit. Because all of the developed world has no young people to replace. There is no kids. And if there are kids, there's such few of them that it takes one, one young kid to replace five people's jobs. And how do you do that without automation and AI? This leads to essentially what I've been saying in here for a little bit about the bullwhip into technology, AI, and crypto, and back into real goods like oil, like commodities, aluminum, silver, and several other rare earth minerals. Because you're going to have to constantly bounce between those just to keep the, the society afloat while it's slowly declining in population and amount of people that there is. Because you know how you constantly spin, like spin something in the air, like a ball? Imagine having a ball on a string and you just spin that up in the air. Even though you're not putting a lot of energy into it, the momentum carries it in the fact that it's constantly rotating around that allows it to maintain that same exact height or it slowly declines. Once you stop turning that, turning that ball around, it then starts to sharply fall and crash. That's what essentially we have to do with the global society in order to prevent societal collapse. And since most people don't want to put that risk on or express that, this is what we had to go next and largely prevent. Does it make sense to you? Yes, yes, it does, yes. I was mostly asking just because I'm want. i I'm curious as to what would lead um, most of my generation, because I'm 21 years old, and younger generations kind of like lead them towards the creator economy. And I'm not just talking about artists and creating NFTs. I'm also talking about programmers and yeah, th- down that lane. So that, that's mostly what I was asking that. Like what you're going to see, especially in your age, once you hit 40 or so, a massive brain drain of people onto places that can provide them a, pla- a roof and something to eat. Because of the fact that we have a massive issue with fuel and like energy shortage, that they'll be forcing nations that have that excess supply or can create that supply to attract more people. And thus, you have a massive hollowing out of the belt nation to those areas where the boomers will be forced to provide places for the young to live and for them to finance the next generation to then explore and mine and develop, while a good cohort of these young people spend into technology, AI, and eventually finances, because all of the legacy system for finances are old, like built on cobalt old, that I bet no one here knows how to type or code in cobalt, and thus you have to have DeFi to come in to maintain the financial system that's built from the legacy systems. My father can code in Google. Can you? No, but my father. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So, so what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that education is the way forward to prevent people my age, and I guess everyone else, from finding themselves in the streets and, like you said, not having a roof or something. The thing is, I'll be a little bit more blunt here. Okay. It requires slave labor. And when I talk about slave labor, I'm t- referring to specifically labor of uneducated individuals to ensure the survival of the nation or local province. Now, can they eventually become educated? Yes, because that's what AI is for. But will we need that labor to ro- extract the raw resources like silver, aluminum, metal, like bauxite? Yeah, we will need that first. But eventually, we can build, like, train them later on in life to be the coders, the artists, and the, and the individuals that help support the backbone of the ecosystem because AI can replace a large swath of people in several compact machines. And that's essentially the transition we need to get to. It's just that it is not politically palatable to say, hey, young people, on, although we understand that you need to be coders and the gig economy is what we talked about for the last five years, yeah, we need to go. We need to have you guys go into the mines and like drill out some bauxite. Like, do you think that any politicians will say that, or will they let the economy force the young people into those jobs? 
Yeah, the second option is what sounds like a politician would do. Do you have a question, Crypto Gladiator? Oh, yes. Like, what do you think the future of the BTC? Like, you were saying, like, that the most, uh, the most bottom has been topped out, you know? It's like uh, 27K. Could you say that a little bit more clear and slower since I couldn't hear due to your thick, ac- thick accent? Oh, yes. I'm saying to you, like, about the Bitcoin chart, like you were saying, like, uh, the bottom is out, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that there are so many firsts like in the market already, like you know already, right? The first Luna and then other other firsts were there. The Bitcoin price and the market has been liquidated a lot, and the U.S. inflation is uh, the major concern is happening with the crypto and with the other asset as well. The thing is, we're not over with the flash crashes of several DeFi protocols right now. One of the ones that I'm majorly looking at is Celsius because of the fact that they create LTV loans in the crypto market, which is used to underwrite more leverage into the ecosystem that people do not realize. Essentially, it is the equivalent of creating a mortgage-backed security in crypto to buy more crypto. That needs to be partially liquidated due to the high APY that they're giving to their customers throughout the lifetime. And even though I don't want yes. to be liquidated, it'll eventually will be forced to be liquidated because of the fact that the Fed and the European banks are not providing liquidity at the moment to like offset the massive APY. Of course, getting you. But it doesn't concern with that thing, you know, like Celsius, like they got liquidated about the like uh, APY, which they were providing to the customers. But the major concern with SETH, you know, like they won't be able to like, you know, get it back, you know. Yeah, they won't be able to get that liquidity back because of what they gave out during like the tops of the bull market and slowly going to the bear market. They can't get that money back. And thus, based on the simple math itself and how much contraction of the money supply is occurring for Celsius to obtain. I could see the potential or see the rising potential of Celsius going to zero because of how much leverage that they have. Yes. And this will cause a massive crash in Bitcoin Ethereum even further down because anyone who looks at on-chain analysis says like, this is a lot and this shouldn't be going this low. Right now, you have Bitcoin miners selling some of their Bitcoins because of how high the energy price is, which makes this a very unusual environment where the people that will be hodling and like getting like soaking up the excess liquidity of Bitcoin are forced to sell, which increases the downward temporary pressure on the entire ecosystem itself. Okay, and what about the CME future gap? Will it going to fill out first or will it go down? Uh, what do you mean by CME futures gap? Oh, oh don't you know? Okay, no problem. Uh, the thing I, I need to like clarify on the CME. I'll talk about the Chicago market. Chicago Mercantile Exchange, like you know, they are doing like Bitcoin trading Monday to Friday, and the, at the weekend the gap should be like uh, gap gap should be there, so it has to fill up. You know, so it's like uh, right now the BTC gap, uh, CME future gap is at 30 k. So do you think is it gonna fill out first? The thing is, I haven't been looking at that chart a lot. Since I've been looking at the fundamentals, but once I look at it, I'll eventually like talk about it. Mm. How do how do miners affect the situation? Because as the price goes down, then a lot of people will move resources away from mining. Uh, how will that how will that affect uh, prices? So, since everyone's looking for the cheapest amount of kilowatts for crypto mining. What you eventually see is that everyone who is contracting with energy suppliers to mine bitcoins will essentially ha- will have to look at other alternatives or decrease their hash power, which, although it's not thought of possible, it is likely with the fact that how much do you want to, like, you're now like flipping the scenario on its head. 
you're now taking what would be a cash flowing machine like uh, mine into a SaaS company, which is need to increase your burn rate just to survive so it can then harvest more into a mining company, which although many people don't understand that mentality will eventually have to be triggered in this winter because of the fact that it is now costing more to mine than it is to like than it is to do nothing. And thus, what, what you have is that everyone who's contractually obligated to pay a certain amount will either decrease the amount that they are mining so they can reduce, reduce their burn rate, which means decrease their hashing power, or they sell off any, any, any yield that they get into the market, which increases the downward pressure of the price, which means that we'll have exacerbated mute to the downside or increase the risk of it. And thus, anyone who will be backstopping a certain price level will have to allow that price level to go down until you see a reversal of energy trend or reset a new like price floor to then build off of. Since you want to make sure that the hash rate of the Bitcoin or Ethereum meets the cool amount of energy that it takes to profit a spread. Uh, in, short, in shortcut, you can say how, how does it going to be profitable mining right now? Oh, right? It, it, the thing is, it's not profitable right now for some miners, unless it will eventually move down in price to where only those who are able to survive in that massive flush event can return, retain a ton of Bitcoin. And then once the energy prices get fixed in the next two to three years, or we have new ratified agreements in Europe about energy, like buying energy from Russia, and same with the US, it would take oh, like two to three years, which now converts this entire equation into a SaaS company where you have a ton of liquidity, like cash or cash equivalent, which people would say will be Bitcoin equivalent or Ethereum equivalent, unless they'll be constantly paying that to maintain the hash power and collect and essentially do a funds in and funds out calculation and say, hey, if I retain this amount of passion power, I start to get like all the rewards from the blocks or close to a lot of the rewards of the blocks. And thus, I will be able to take that and say, I'm going to sell this out to the open market and say, hey, I'm giving you these coins at a discount to the market itself. So keep me in process and funding so it can build up my operations and scale. So it can collect all the rewards so that once the entire like, price of the coin goes up, it can then collect some of that premium on the upside and then we can reduce our market share and you collect that profit. And that's essentially what the dealings will be in mine companies for crypto in the next one to, two, one to three years. And people need to consider that transition since in the short term, that will cause a massive downward swing in the price of crypto until people can hash out those OTC deals. Okay. And, and like the uh, Ethereum mining, like does it going to be impact uh, after they introduce the ETH 2.0 staking? It will not be affected as much, which is why there could be a divergence in the price of Ethereum and Bitcoin at the time. But there will be other issues with ETH 2.0 and the and the calculations on ETH. But we have yet to reach there, which is why I cannot factor those in yet. Uh, okay, thank you. All right. Well, you know, it's not rosy, friends, but you always get the real responses over here. Um you know, personally, I'm in a different situation to most because I have what to eat and pay my rent with. Uh, and so, you know, as a long-term value investor, uh, as much as I have moved some of my money into USDC, I, I tend to feel, look, um, I, I have been compounding my Ethereum at a, at a faster rate than it is falling, meaning because I spend all of my funds in Ethereum, right? The things I'm investing in are Ethereum. When I'm doing these DGEN plays and stuff, or even long-term investing that ends up becoming an arbitrage or short-term investment, I've been compounding at a faster rate than Ethereum is falling, right? Despite the fact that it's fallen from 3.5, um, I, I am still compounding faster than that. So to me, 
um, you know, if I put it in USDC, I'm basically or die. I'm locking it up there, getting a low interest rate, and that's fine. Whereas by keeping it an active investment, uh, you know, I'm continuing to do well. But I definitely okay. think you should be putting some of your, you know, money in a stable coin. You should be uh, making sure that you've got enough money set aside for six months for your very basic expenses, so you don't have to react. Uh, like so many others are, and get involved in in, in slave labor and and doing things uh, that may maybe will be harmful. And then, of course, we have to factor in that prices are going to go up. Uh, so expect inflation to hit alongside everything else, uh, which compounds the suffering. MC, you wanted to say something? Yeah, the thing is, if you can survive the next decade or so, this these prices are the prices you're going to see will be insane. But the reason why it's going to be insane is because people can't afford it. So getting yourself in the position to where you're not forced to sell once at a massive discount is how you win this game. Because many people have yet to ever trade a bear market in U.S. 10-year or U.S. bonds in their entire lifetimes. Look at, all, look at all the people who are old. Only a fraction of them has ever traded that market. You're now going into that. And the younger you are and the more you can survive this decade or so, the better you'll be in the future because you will almost guarantee that you don't have to suffer in your retirements. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we have to... I, I mean, you really think we're going to have a recession for a decade? I, I, I must, I must... Well, not a decade. I, I'm saying the, because of how we'll be constantly going between energy and basic materials to high-tech and stuff... There'll be many times of like a weapon between growth, value, growth, value, growth, value. And many sure. people will be chopped up in that swing of volatility between the sure. two. But if you understand you can get at low prices and sell high and vice versa all over again, and you understand the game and dynamic, you'll be putting yourself a lot further than those who are not able to and basically trying to make out a survival. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I, I hear your point, yeah. But I'm saying from a purely just kind of... Um, Battling, ba- battling down the hedges and ready for a storm, I would say pragmatically, pragmatically, you know, because, you know, a lot of these people do have less assets than I. If you can set aside the basic funds you need for four to six months, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's the important step one. Step two is if you can then make a plan for 10 years, absolutely sure, MC, I agree with you on that for sure. Uh, but I think there'll be many, as you say, many ups and downs along that route and arbitrage positions. But the most important thing is do not right now, you know, even if you have to take a bit of losses, do not have yourself in an over uh, exposed situation whereby uh, if, 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 if the market continues to be down for a couple of months or half a year, you are going to have to start cannibalizing your assets. That's the worst situation to be in. Again, you don't want to be the guy who sells their house in at 2010 only to see the housing market double and triple in size. You don't want to be that guy. Yes, but the, like the thing is last decade, there were no many like institution in the crypto, you know, and no many major people in the crypto. And after 10 years, like right now, you can see so many people like MicroStrategy, Michael Slayer, then of course, like this guy, uh, Tesla guy, I forgot his name. I don't know. Uh, Professor yeah, Elon. Elon, Professor yes, Elon, Professor Elon oh, Musk, and so, so so many people came to the market in this decade. You know, so the the rhino and the most most efficient is like CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, New York Stock Exchange as well. They are coming with the crypto back, uh, trading and everything. So they are gonna they are, they are they are not going to uh, like dump it the price straight away. They want. They wanted to see the more future of the crypto. So in next ten decade, you will see the price will rise up, but it will not go down as much you expected. The thing and is, the, the fastest recovery it will be making by at the at the end of the August. Right, the, right but Gladiator, MJ is making the stance. Sorry, MC is making the making the argument that these institutions have entered under a false understanding of their own assets and they don't even realize how over-collateralized they are. And when the reality strikes again, like it did in 2008, when they start to look at their balance sheets, 
they're going to get an, a nasty surprise and be forced to sell. That is that is the key kind of missing link over here that MC is saying is is in the market, right, MC? I'm saying that on the general portfolio, and it doesn't have to be in crypto, but that's gen- essentially what I'm trying to say. But Great. the thing is, like at the end of the day, they don't want uh, they don't want to lose their customers, right? So if they are going to sell it right now, the market will be nothing, you know. Like if the people, like the major people, are gonna dump it the market on the time, they, they will be not gaining anything. They will be hundred percent losing it. So they will lose their customer as well. They will lose their reputation as well. So the thing is, right now, the more major people will come to the market, and the market will recover the end of the August, maybe. That's a maximum, or um, next to next September. Crypto gap around like that. I don't think you understand how retail works. Or retail works in hedge fund world. So the thing is, whenever the customer says sell, you sell. You don't care about the price. You don't care about what happens. You just sell. Same with ETFs. Whenever the customer wants to buy, you buy. Even if it's outrageous prices, you still buy because the customer wants to buy. Because you want to retain the customer. If the customer says sell, when you have a 30% drawdown or an 80% drawdown, you sell. You don't say if, if ends or buts. If the customer wants it to do it, the customer gets it. So again... What you need to understand is that in these types of financial assets, specifically in ETFs, which the majority of retail participants has been into across the majority of stock markets, what they're, especially in the 401ks, when they're a target date fund, whenever any cash goes into an ETF or any 401k or pension plan or, super, like, or any annuity, whenever that fund hits yeah. the market or hits their fund, they then go out and buy the assets. They're, they're demanded or fiduciary duties tells them to. And once they are, once the customer wants the money back, they then sell. There's been many traders, especially when they dealt with the Italian bond market, like the European market itself, where even though all the risk has been priced in and the retail says on the last day before the risk gets like, oh, like sold off to then increase in price, the, the customer calls in and says, hey, I want to sell. You then tell the customer, you do realize that all the risk has been priced in. And the customer says, I don't fucking care. I want to sell. And you're forced to sell. You need to understand that that is how the retail works. They don't look at these markets every single day. They only look at it, look at it when, the, when they, the news says, oh, this, this crypto or this stock went down 50%. Sell, sell, sell. That's why Jim Cramer is such an easy top or bottom signal. Because he essentially is what the retail says. Oh, Jim Cramer says, I need to sell, so I sell. Or, oh, this asset went down 20%. People tell me this is bad, so I sell. That's essentially what they're doing. But we are not seeing any kind of volume from the, those kind of institutions, you know? The, most of the retail people, are they are going to sell it. And most of the GBTC or the, any other BTC or any other Ethereum, which has been backed by so many people, like the, so many institutions, they already locked it up for one year, two years or something like that. So no no other customer can dump it, you know. That is a major concern with the crypto. They locked it up for a couple of time, like six months, eight months, 12 months. They lock it up. Again, that can be the case. But you do, like, MicroStrategy is another case with the bond, like, their bond issuance and the... Volatility of the price if you compare their total assets to their bond like issuance, which is another discussion which goes another twenty minutes or so, and thus I will politely ask that we avoid. But then we do have another section of the market talking about the retail consumer, which I partially address based on the fact that the retail consumer is constantly hit with inflation on the basic cost of rent, energy, food, and basic basic necessities to go to work and then you had their credit cards where they hit the max that they ever been so far in the michigan consumer index where it goes all the way back to the 80s where the retail is most bearish on the entire economy itself which is a leading indicator for the global health of the economy through the u.s economy which is like the greatest spender in the world which is where all the exports of dollars goes into for other emerging markets or other developed nations to then finance the dollar-denominated loans. So the retail is currently 
near or about to be max strapped of cash and thus will be forced to not spend as much. Then you have the institutions where they're currently being like collateral called and they don't have any good way to increase their loans besides paying 2 to 3% more to pay off their debts or roll over their debts because most companies are zombie companies and they only roll over debt and never pay the interest in principle. And then you have the banks who have to deal with the fact that they're not able to increase their loans based on the fact that they'll be slacked by other banks and, short, and other banks will short them because of the fact that they're increasing their loan book and they have risk of defaults on those loans massively increasing because there's no way for them to, those companies who get those loans, to repay that back within the standard amount of time or short amount of time. Okay. Getting you. Awesome, awesome. I just want to, on a pragmatic note, since a couple of you have asked, the council is working out how much to put into cash. Uh, we, 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 you know, we don't have a lot of cash needs, thankfully, so we'll just be looking to keep stipends ready in that so that, you know, at, at the worst case scenario, we've got the stipends to pay the council without kind of, you know, taking losses on, on the theorem that we practically use. Uh, and in the best case scenario, if there's any pump situations, you know, we can play that as well. Uh, on a on a fund point of view, we're moving ahead as per usual, uh, because if anything, uh, you know, we are one Ethereum equals one Ethereum and the open sea market that we invest in is designated in Ethereum. And so, you know, we think we will, especially in the mid caps, as we start to get our research ready for the mid caps, we think we will start to see some really fantastic uh, in potential investments, you know, completely wrecked. Uh, whereby, you know, and, and, and a lot of those communities have already raised money during the golden eras. And so they're sitting on a lot of cash and will have no problem kind of continuing to build uh, as long as, you know, we, we vet the team and feel that they, you know, are substantial. Uh, I'm going to stop the recording now, but of course you can continue uh, as, you, as you desire. But let me just stop recording. Oh. Oh, just so you understand, Crypto Gladiator, 